Well, thanks, James, for that reading. It was great reading. Well, earlier this year, with all the flooding, a few of us experienced what it was like to be displaced from our homes. We all heard about friends or experienced it ourselves, watching the water rise in their houses, ruining everything they had. Some of us may still be dealing with the chaos that caused in our lives. Well, on the other side of the world, in Ukraine, this is happening on a scale beyond what we can imagine. Almost six million people have been displaced from their homes. And eight million people have fled to other countries. These are people scattered. For these people, they face uncertainty and anxiety. And there's a longing that they all experience, a longing to return home, to be reunited with friends and family, to be gathered. In this psalm, we hear the cries of a similar group of people who have been scattered from their home and from their God. We get an insight into their thoughts and emotions and see God working through them as they go from sadness and despair to joy and thankfulness. So let's pray as we begin that God would help us to listen and relate to these people and through this passage grow in our thankfulness to God. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and the way that you speak to us through it. Thank you that you are the same now as you were thousands of years ago when this psalm was written. Please help us all today to hear what you are saying and through your word grow in our relationship with you. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you noticed, as we just heard the psalm read, that Psalm 107 is a highly structured and repetitive psalm, and it uses the structure and repetition to drive home the themes of the psalm. Hebrew psalms, like this one, aren't necessarily linear in the way that they develop ideas, um, like our writing today. Instead, the start and the end both tend to show the major ideas, and in the middle explains and justifies those ideas. So as we work through Psalm 107 today, we'll look at the middle first and then dig into the start and end a bit later on. So in the middle of the psalm, we're presented with four groups of people. Now, one of the great things about psalms is the imagery and emotions being conveyed. So as we listen to each one of these groups, think through the emotions we're hearing and how they resonate with you. In verse 4, we read, Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. These people are isolated, alone, homeless, wandering without hope. They're hungry and thirsty, not just physically, but spiritually. Their faith is slowly being eroded like dunes. Do we feel the despair of these people? The anxiety and looking for shelter, the fear of the unknown. They have nothing left, so they cry out to God in anguish. Come with me to verse 10. Others sat in darkness and gloom prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. The next group we meet in captivity, beaten down and suffering because of their rebellion against God 
they have been handed over to nations who severely oppress them. In their captivity, they're treated more like animals than people, and their spirits are broken to make them more obedient. They rebelled against God and are suffering the consequences of life without the freedom and hope that he offers, without his comfort and support. Reading this, the darkness and gloom should surround us, for we too have rebelled against the Lord. All these people's efforts have failed, so they cry out to God in their distress. Again in verse 17, fools suffer affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. Another group rebels against God, and in their foolishness, they suffer affliction. Their actions have brought them close to the gate of death. In the course of their transgression, they afflict themselves and are fools for their pains. These people are suffering by their own hand because of their desires and longing in the world. They have no one to blame but themselves and no way to save themselves. You can imagine all else has failed. They're approaching death. They're ashamed because of their actions. With nothing left, they humble themselves and cry out to God. The final group seems a little bit different. It kind of almost seems like they've got life together. Uh, from verse 23, others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works of the deep. These people are getting on with life, going out, working hard, observing God's works. But we see the problem in the next few verses. From verse 25, he spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. Rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. These people, like many of us, seem courageous, seem successful, seem skillful. But we rely on our ability. God stirs up the sea, showing their weakness under that fragile facade. The fear of the storm drives all thoughts from their minds, and this tossing of the ship causes them to, uh, to stumble, giving them the appearance of drunkards. God shows his power and shows the foolishness in placing our security in our own strength and ability. In the face of their skill being shown to be useless, they realize who has the true power and cry out to God. As we hear these four accounts, their anxiety, suffering, shame, and fear, we're confronted with how we are so alike. Where are we feeling purposeless, powerless, suffering the consequences of our rebellion against God, or recognizing our own weakness in a situation out of our control? The author and theologian Russell Moore describes how the creepiest sound he ever heard was nothing at all. It was silence as he and his wife walked through a Russian orphanage to meet the two children they were looking to adopt. These children didn't cry because the infants eventually learned to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls 
for food, for comfort, for love. No one had ever responded to these children, so they stopped. For a week, Russell and his wife played with the two kids. They read to them, they sang to them, they loved them. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. And each evening, they walked out to the airy silence. At the end of the week, they had to go back to the US to complete the legal paperwork to adopt their kids. So after hugging them and saying goodbye, they went to walk down the hallway. And then from behind them, they heard a guttural scream, the scream of their one-year-old son. Russell says it was the most terrible and lovely thing he'd ever heard. It seemed he knew, knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew that he had a father and a mother now. With that cry of anguish, the orphan had become a son. We are so used to being silent, suffering alone, like the people in the psalm. But like Russell's son, we have a father who will listen to us, who will respond to us. Cry out to God in your trouble and distress. Cry as a father, uh, try, cry as a child does to their father who will listen. Because God is at work and will deliver us. J.I. Packer says this in his book, Knowing God. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of, being, of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means they do not understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. I'll say that again. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be greater than our grasp of adoption. In Psalm 106, verse 47, the previous psalm to this one, we hear the cry of Israel to God. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations. At this stage, Israel has been scattered. But look how this psalm, Psalm 107, starts. From verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Psalm 107 is an answer to the cry of the Psalm 106 and the cries of the Psalm 107 people. In those four counts, after the people cry out to God, there's the same response every time. He rescued them from their distress. He brought them out from their distress. He saved them from their distress. And the personal response of the people in this psalm is the same as the psalmist's whole response uh, in verse 1. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love. The people are giving thanks to God. In fact, they're instructed by the psalmist to give thanks. Why? For God's faithful love. The most basic, 
core trait of God is his love. His love within the Godhead between Father, Son, and Spirit, and therefore his love for his people. God's love never wavers in its work, and the loving work of God is all about gathering, about relationship. From Adam's first rebellion, which broke the relationship between man and God, God has been working, bringing about his plan where people can relate to him again. Israel was God's nation and had the unique privilege of dwelling with God in the land. God dwelt with them in the temple, and people would go there and worship him. But in 586 BC, Babylon conquered Israel, destroyed the temple, and scattered the people. The scattered Israel longed to be gathered again um, in their own nation and having that relationship with God again. And when they were allowed to return, they rejoiced and gave thanks. But although the people themselves were gathered, God did not yet dwell with his people. Not like he had before the exile, and certainly not like he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. What Israel didn't know was that God was coming to restore that relationship. He came to earth as the God-man Jesus, who taught, preparing people for the new age. Jesus died to pay for humanity's rebellion and then rose from the dead to rule the new kingdom. Jesus left his disciples with a command to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, to gather my people. But gathering with God now is different. We don't worship God from a temple anymore. So we don't need to be geographically gathered. We need to be spiritually gathered so that all those who accept Jesus as Lord can have a relationship with him. 2,000 years on, that's what we're still doing today. We are gathering as God's people, enjoying the relationship that we have, thanking him for his faithful love and continuing his work. But while you and I God's people have a relationship with God now, we're still waiting for the fullness of that gathering. We eagerly wait for Jesus to come again for us, finally judging sin and creating a new heavens and earth. This is the ultimate goal for our, dwell, our, our gathering, to dwell with God and be in perfect relationship with him in the new creation. How good is that going to be? I want you to imagine for a second that the stars only come out once in a century. Maybe the earth is overcast the rest of the time, so there's only one night that you can see them. Can you imagine the build-up, the celebration, the awe, the incredible sight of beauty? Wouldn't we all spend that entire night outside just looking up at the stars, marveling at them? But unfortunately, they only come out every night, so we ignore them. <laughs> when was the last time we spent time just looking at the universe God has made? I know for me, I can't remember the last time, but it has been raining a lot lately. You and I have so much to be thankful for. But the extent to which we've been blessed often leads us to take these blessings for granted. 
The people in this psalm are so thankful, recognizing how they have been brought from being a scattered people, suffering under Babylon, to a gathered people back in the land. Recognizing God's love for us should lead us to be even more thankful. God has gathered us from death to life. Not just dwelling in his presence, but speaking to him and hearing him speak to us. Have you been saved by God? If not, look to God's love. He desires to rescue you from the aimless hardship and despair of the world into the hope that we'll dwell with him forever. But if you are a Christian, give thanks. It's not a suggestion, but a command from the psalm. We ought to be a thankful people, filled with joy, recognizing what God has done for us. Well, the second part of the people's response in the psalm is to give thanks because of God's wondrous works for all humanity. The psalm ends saying in verse 43, Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. The thankfulness towards God is not just for his faithful love in gathering his people, it is also for his acts in the world. Just before the end of the psalm, we hear the psalmist recount God's words, works. From verse 33, he, that's God, turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns the desert into a pool, dry lands into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there and they can establish a city where they can live. It's surprising to hear these two works together. At first, God's turning lush areas into wilderness and desert. But then two verses later, he's turning the desert into lush land again. But doesn't this mirror the experience we often have in the world? One day, everything seems to be working out. Relationships are going well. We're enjoying work. And then the next, everything's falling apart. We just have to look a few months back to the flooding or COVID to see how quickly everything can change. But the joy of the psalmist comes, and the reason he is thankful, comes from him recognizing three truths. So one, God is in control. God allows these things to happen. They're not random or out of control. And all, the things, all, all things in the world are known and under the, under the authority of God. Growing up in my family, uh, my parents would often have the six o'clock news playing just before dinner. I enjoyed hearing what was going on around New Zealand and around the world. Uh, maybe you're the same. But the past several years, I find myself almost anxious when I hear too much of the news, hearing all the tragedies happening in the world, the increasing crime rates, climate crises, war, natural disasters. It can leave us feeling like everything is going wrong. It's out of control, and the world is stuffed. In these moments, we need to remember to pray to God, trusting him that despite the bleak future, he is still in control, and the future is secure with him. So number one, God is in control. Number two, God is faithfully loving. God is faithfully loving. As we saw before in the psalm, God is lovingly gathering us to himself. 
The things that happen in this world are part of God's plan to see more people come to know him and to be saved. But we also have a hope of eternal life and the new creation to be secure in. Life now is difficult, but it is also temporary. Number three, God listens to our cries. When we experience hardship and suffering, we can cry out to God, and he is listening. God doesn't promise to take away the struggle, um, but he will support us through it. And through the hard times, we can have the encouragement of Hebrews 4, verse 15, which says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been through life on earth. He's been through all the difficulties of life we struggle with, and he is available to us. How often do you, like me, keep trying to push through our struggles? We take on more and more until we're stressed, overwhelmed, and broken. We keep things to ourselves because we don't want to admit that we can't handle it. And it's only when we're on the verge of collapse that we cry out to God, to our friends, to our small groups. When I started my apprenticeship with church at the start of this year, I tried to organize everything myself for youth on a Friday night. I organized the activities, the studies, tried to plan who was giving the talks, and I overworked myself and ended up cynical and stressed. When I looked at my prayer life, I wasn't depending on God like the psalmist does, and I wasn't reaching out to those that God had put around me to support me. By God's grace, before I burnt out, he helped those in my life to reach out and help me. But how much better would my life have been if at the first sign of difficulty, I had cried out to God and walked alongside his people through all this? Maybe right now you're feeling a similar weight. Your work, family, future plans are all on your shoulders and you are trying to bear the weight. Have you sought God in prayer? Have you sought him who loves to hear our requests? Cry out to God and receive his comfort. Look and see the people that God has placed in our lives who we can bear our burdens with. The world now is not all that there is. God is at work gathering his people and we can respond both in thankfulness to this and in partnership, joining with God in his work. And so we worship a God who is the same now as he was thousands of years ago and who will be the same into eternity. God loves his people and is faithful to see his people reunited with him. Where are we today? What are we trying to achieve on our own that we need to cry out and give to God? Where has God gathered us from to see us here today? How can we be recognizing what God has done and giving thanks? Today, we, through the psalmist, we've heard an offer from God. We can continue in our struggle, trapped, lost, and broken. Or we can cry out to God and receive his freedom and love. What joy that should fill us with. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you for adopting us as your children, for gathering us from where we were wandering apart from you into your family. Grow in our hearts a richness of relationship with you and make it our first instinct in our lives to cry out to you. Thank you that you hear our cries and that you are shaping all things in the world for your glory. Please fill us with joy because of all you have done and help us to respond in thankfulness and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.